You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast, episode 24, Neil Corcoran. Hey guys, Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne. Um, another episode of the player profile videos and today we've got Neil Corcoran in to chat with us, so thanks for coming down, Neil. Hi, Craig. Good to see you again. You too, man. Um, could you start off by telling us a little bit about how you started on bass? Well, probably going back um, to the early 80s, I was um, actually noodling around a bit with a classical guitar I had in the house, um, and a couple of schoolmates said that it's form a band, and one was actually a fairly good drummer. The other one was a pretty good guitar player. He was the best out of the three of us as a muso. So it was like natural thing. Play the bass. You've got to play the bass. So I actually, believe it or not, in my misspent youth, decided to try and put a set of bass strings onto an acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> With obvious results being that, you know, it didn't work, <laughs> put it that way. Genius. Uh, yeah, so it was a bit like um, smashing the guitar up without, without smashing it, if you still know. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, what happened is I soon realised that, that I was going to be playing bass, so I think I bought a, it was 70 quid I think, um, it was called an Angelica, semi-acoustic, like a Gibson type of semi-acoustic bass, like okay. an EB sort of, EB type, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it had like nylon coated strings, it was quite a unique thing, but... Oh, you probably like that, no? Oh yeah, well, I kind of wish I still had it, Yeah. Um, but it had a very definite sort of sound but we decided that we would actually be a punk band so right it didn't quite have the right tone so i ended up buying soon after that buying an aria i think it was an aria, one of those aria pro twos japanese oh yeah like a cream colored pickup in it oh yeah yeah like, like, like the module yeah. thing yeah um and that had a much more like a pp bass yeah much yeah. more gritty sort of aggressive yeah. rock sound yeah and so that was but um, so that's how yeah that's how I started. So punk band in, in high school and stuff. Yeah, kind of yeah, just kind of were list. Well, I was listening to different things, but they were listening to sort of early Generation X, you know, Billy Idol and Adam Ant's first album, which is actually pretty good albums. Okay. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Stranglers and stuff, which obviously the bass is very P bass driven yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah. So you fingers a pick? No fingers. Yeah. Yeah, just fingers. So. Yeah, that was probably how I started playing, playing bass guitar. Um, but my influences were completely different in many many regards. Yeah, you know. So, so then from uh, you know high school, we finished, and then what was your kind of you know late teens, early twenties? What was that musically? Well, I think, I mean, I was my biggest influence really on me musically was my dad because he had such good taste in in music right. so from a young age I was sort of immersed into jazz and fusion which is obviously for a bass player great yeah so I remember as a kid we had a he had a Jensen Interceptor in the early 70s with a, an eight one of the old eight track cassette players in it the big okay. cartridge yeah things and um, I don't remember those but I know you <laughs> yeah well he it, it just just like a big almost like a videotape used to go into this stereo in the car yeah it was a big V8 monster Jensen um, but he used to play uh, Isley Brothers, um, Stevie Dan, okay. 
you know, just good, just good stuff. Good stuff um, yeah. Zeppelin, <clears throat> you know, it's like it just lots of Santana. No old you can have. Yeah, so when I, this is you know probably when I was you know, five and six, seven, mm-hmm. and then by the time I started playing, you know, when I got to my sort of fifteen, sixteen years of age, in my mid you know, teens sort of thing, he'd already been playing Stanley Clark School Days in the house that was on. And only it's it's sort of weird. Only after buying a bass did I realise that's actually yeah, what I was listening to. Was he a musician? No. no. So just a just, just a yeah. regular member of the yeah, yeah. playing an so, instrumental bass. Yeah, album. yeah. Was for us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. School days. Um, heavy weather. Weather report. Right. That was on in the oh, house. Right, yeah. Um, then he would get into Jeff Lorber, Neil Larson, all the good keyboard players. A bit later on, obviously, early eighties, he was listening to David Sanborn. Okay. Luther Vandross. You know, and then you're so talking, yeah, the Marcus thing. So around. Marcus, so Marcus was always on in the house. So that was another factor. And again, it's like I recognised, you know, that sound. I was like, okay, that's bass. someone slapping a bass guitar. Yeah, yeah. We lived on the Isle of Wight at the time. Now the big local band down there was Level Forty Two. That's when they just started out as well. A different Isle of Wight. Yep. From the I went to the same high school as Mark King. Okay. But I was a few years down from the I think it was in the same year as his brother. But anyway, um, so they were the big local act. So mm. he was out buying. Level Forty Two's first album, okay, and I was listening to Heathrow and all those tracks and <laughs> Chinese Way, and I was like, okay, this is you know, so yeah, so far, I mean, look, as much as I I used to get into the punk stuff, it was more that was more Ian Jury and the Stranglers and that kind okay, of yeah, thing, yeah. but really my you know my heart was into the into the funk and the soul and the yeah you know because then down the track um, used to listen to Paddy Austin with obviously. Um, Different, yeah, you know, different great, great musicians on those albums. Um, Larry Graham came along as well later on. And Lewis Johnson, you know, it was also on Patti LaBelle albums and stuff. Um, Patti Austin, rather. So yeah, just yeah, so just lots of lots of good bass players mm. on in the house, and it was kind of a, you know, yeah, by accident really. Yeah, I was listening to this stuff, and then I started playing bass, and it was like it was cool, yeah, yeah, it was great. And then I, you know, I had. Um, I managed to videotape a Miles Davis concert that was at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1982, I think, with Marcus on bass. Yeah. Sit and watch that. Just watch and try and pick out what he was doing. Okay. Pick out the solo and a, yep. all those things he was, you know, getting into those sort of blues blues lines and then just running off into the chromatic stuff. And I was thinking, oh, this is just, you know. Then same with Level 42, Mark King, I'd watch him and just you know, pick out all the fun stuff and just get into that. So you were just learning by ear? You didn't learning by ear, totally. You didn't yeah. have a, a, yeah. a bass teacher? Or no, or? didn't have any lessons. I just <clears throat> just picked it up and just went with it. <laughs> you know, and kind of like whatever felt good for me. Um, to be honest, it, it, look, the slapping thing actually came to me quite easily. Don't know why, it just did. It was something I latched onto pretty quick. Mm. Well, I guess if you've been listening to Stanley Clark yeah. and Marcus and yeah, yeah. Mark King. Yeah, <laughs> but I'd sit down and just, you know, <clears throat> just start like that and just start picking out the... The, yeah. the patterns and to try and figure out what they were doing um, and yeah so I suppose watching lots of the, and back back then because we didn't have the internet obviously you'd have to just record whatever concerts you could you'd have to keep an eye out for stuff that happened late night on the TV people. yeah exactly okay. okay what's going on yeah ITV two o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's like yeah. uh, so I'd record Miles, as I say, Miles Davis concert I had 1142 I had a few other I had um, Gil Scott Heron Okay. Robbie Gordon on his Olympic playing, and I was like, "Wow, that's cool!" and got into him. Actually, I was lucky enough to meet him years later. Right. But, so yeah, that's so. All of those things were my 
you know, really, mm-hmm. how that's how I started and just kept going. Yeah. So when did um when did the Mother Earth thing happen? Mother Earth thing happened. Look, I mean, through the through my I say that's that's my mid teens, early twenties. I was in a, a band with some mates. We were trying to do original stuff. It was quite sort of Duran Duran, sort of poppy. Yeah. You know, it was a bit did of. Did you have some hair? Yep, I had the hair. You know, <laughs> <laughs> highlights, spiky hair. Nice. You know, bootlace tie, silver yeah. suit, kind of real. Okay. Yeah. Are you still in your? No. Aria? What was I? What was I using? Actually, had a Yamaha then. Right. Uh, one of the BB models. I had two, I had a fretless one. <coughs> oh, I've had lots of bases. Very 80s of you. Yeah, very 80s. <laughs> also, I used to have West Dome, no West Dome Thunder 1 bases and Thunder 2s. Yeah. I had those for a while. But no, I think I had a Yamaha, and we were trying to, do, I think we were called, what were we called? Vital Signs, I think. Like, there's actually a diffusion band called Vital Signs. But we were trying to do like a Duran Duran poppy sort of song, yeah. you know, sort of very electronic sounding drums, typical 80s, you know? And I was trying to incorporate some of that sort of slap bass in there, like I'd heard. Yeah. You know, which it sort of worked at the time. Um, so that was through through to the late 80s. And then I kind of had a spell where I didn't do much musically for a while, just normal life and stuff, you know, happened. And <laughs> yeah, then purely by chance, um, I was I used to have some mates come around and we used to jam in the front front room, except the drums, guitar amp, playing, just jam ideas. Uh, and one of those guys was Matt Dayton and he got into the studio project which wasn't really a band at the time, it was just people, like a collective of people coming in and writing and mm. sampling things, sampling their favourite records. And okay, cool. Yeah, so that was the start of Mother Earth. They needed a bass player. He rang me, I came in, started playing. And that was it, it just went from there. And that lasted through, you know, that's from the early 90, what, 90, or 91, I think it was, then through to about 96. Yeah, and so for anyone that doesn't know what was Mother Earth, Earth was it was we were we were part of the whole acid jazz movement in London. So, so Jamiroquai, yes, Jamiroquai, Incognito, uh, Brandon Hughes, Cool Droy, uh, Emperor's New Clothes, um, Sandals. There was a few Sandals, the Sandals, yeah. Sandals and Cordroy in the one gig. That would have been pretty much. <laughs> cool Droy still gigging actually. They're still yeah, right. yeah, they're doing they're doing good. Um, so it was part of that whole yeah. Jamir, actually, Jamiroquai supported Mother Earth at our first gig. Cool. And he was on his own, but just with a, a, a DAT machine, I think. Yeah. On a, on a DAT. Because it? it was that kind of time in in the, in the music where sampling was really yes. just yeah. coming out, and Jamiroquai was kind of a studio project yes. as well. It was, yeah. So it was yeah. kind of that mixture of the kind of old school soul thing, but with you know. Yeah. Beats. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So his, first, I mean, <clears> his first couple of sing, maybe it might be one or two singles. Can't remember. No, but definitely one single was on Acid Jazz. And I think he had Andrew Levy from the Brandon Heavies on bass. It was a bit of a, again, a collective because mm. it was always musicians. I think Andrew Levy was there first and then Stuart Zender was after. Yeah, so. Stuart Zender came after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that band evolved up the whole acid jazz thing, a bit like we did. And it was, in other words, we were like a collective of musicians yeah. coming into the studio. We had James Taylor come in on Hammond. Um, Simon Bartholomew from the Heavies played a bit of guitar on our first album and then it sort of evolved into a live act from there because yeah. once we went out on the road we had to trim it down to who could actually do it which yeah. was available and my mate you know, Chris was on drums and mountain guitar and, and then Bryn ended up on keyboards um, and so yeah that's how that's how Mother Earth started mm. and we did three I'm trying to think three studio albums and a live album okay uh, we toured extensively toured through Europe over and over yeah Territories like Germany and Japan were good for us. Uh, UK is always very competitive, so we did all right in the UK. But you, you, 
you'd never want to tour in, in England because you get sport when you go. <laughs> Places like yeah. Germany and Japan, they just, you know, you know roll out the red carpet and yeah. food and wine. You'd be <laughs> like, well, this is good. Yeah. So we used to go to Japan regularly every year and tour. Um, and we actually came to Australia in 94. So oh, yeah? Yeah, we came here in nine, and I actually arrived in Melbourne. I thought, one day I'm going to live here. And I did. Huh. So there you go. And how did you, how did you find... <clears throat> Playing in a band like that, which is you know fairly intricate fusion stuff, without any music background, music education background, you know, did you find you have to shed a lot for the gig, or was it all just very natural? You guys kind of rode together, or did somebody well, come to you and go, "These are the chords, come well, up with a line yeah, kind of thing"? Because well, I mean, Matt was the primary songwriter, the guitarist mm. and vocalist. He he was um, just, I mean, obviously just having an acoustic guitar. It was just great with chords and, and you know song structure, um, but none of us could read music anyway. Right. So it was like we're all on the same page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's no page. But you know what I mean. None yeah, of yeah. us, none of us were te- none of us had, had studied music in that context. I mean, I think Matt had probably had some lessons, but none of us actually sat there and read. You know, mm. we just we just created it, and it was just playing by ear. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I had an understanding of scales and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that you, yeah. unless you've studied, yes. you don't know about music, but, um, I think, you know. Yeah, I think going back, if I was going to change anything from my development as a musician, is that I think I probably would have liked to have started reading music as soon as I could play, mm. rather than just picking the instrument up and yeah. just running. Because I mean, the further uh, you go, it's, it's almost like exactly. it's harder to go back and you know, start. I, I, ideally, you want both. You want to be able to use your own and pick it up. Yeah. And you also want to be able to go yes, play the music, yeah. play it. Because yeah. I, I think um, a lot of time when I'm talking to my students about reading music and theory and stuff, and it's not that if you haven't been taught it, then you, you don't know it or can't figure out. It's just that it's a tool to get you there quicker. It's a language, and it's you know? a way of reading that language. Yeah, That's all. It's just yeah. another It's another way of accessing. Exactly, yeah. And if you can do both, then... Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I do it the hard way. If, so, if I'm going to do a gig and it's a covers gig, I'll sit down and, and I'll learn 28 songs. Yeah. And I can I can actually do it in a day or two quite easily. Like it's not all day, but, you know, yeah. I can sit there for like five, four or five hours a day and get it down. Yeah. And just finger memory, and then the rest is obviously you just figure out endings and stuff as you go, and you, you've got yeah, enough yeah. experience, you know, when the drum is going to stop, and you just, yeah. I can't take knock yeah, yeah, that all comes with the experience yeah. of just playing for years, like you have and I have. We can just... Yeah, we can deal with with that kind of thing, but I think I, my honest advice to someone starting out on any instrument is learn to read as mm. you go as well because it's so it's so invaluable. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. If you're just going to be a completely original music artist, yeah. But even then, you might want to write down some stuff for other people to play. So you know, because studio times, you know, studio time is yeah. precious as we know. Yeah. So if you can go and write it out yes. for whoever yeah. you got in the studio, yeah. then you cut out that time of, no, no, it's G, and then it's four bars of that. Stuff. Exactly. Like, boom, yeah. there it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where it, it comes into its own, if you can do that. I mean, I can read charts and stuff. If someone puts a good cool chart, that's yeah. fine. And I know, I know enough theory, and I've, over the years I've taught myself enough theory to be able to just deal with calls and shapes and scales and yeah. understand what it yeah. means. I mean, those, those are really the bass players. I mean, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at it, but I can yeah. I can get by and, you know, rest, yeah. it's like a combination of that and a bit of natural ability and a good ear. Yeah. A good yeah. ear is also and, and, You know, so going on from that, um, what would you say are important qualities for being a good bass player? 
I'd say one, I mean, for me, primarily is, is good time. Yeah. Good tone as well. I mm -hmm. mean, a lot of it's in, is, it's individual, it's in the fingers. So you could pick this bass up and it would sound different to me playing yeah. it. But I think initially you need, you need really good time keeping good tempo and understanding of tempos and feel and yeah, that's, that's something to work on in parallel with all the other stuff. So yeah. if you're running your scales and your, your chops and your call, you know, that's fine. But I used to literally drum with my hands along to tracks mm -hmm. to keep time and see what the drums were doing as well. Mm -hmm. And also, I think for a bass player, get to the point where even subconsciously you know what the bass drum is doing. Right. Because it's, really, I don't even know I'm doing it, but I will just play with, if I play with the drum, I find I'm, I'm just locking really it with the bass drum. drum. Yeah. It's okay to have the, get, obviously jump on the snare and the rest, of, but the bass drum is, is really, if you lock into that, it really enhances the yeah. bass line full yeah. stop. Or, you know, being aware of it, because it's not yeah. like you always have to play on it, but no. know where it is so you can play yeah. before or after yeah. it intentionally. That's the, yeah, that's, that's I think, yeah, I think understanding, um, understanding drums and how, yeah. how drum parts work, because obviously you do programming and stuff. Yeah. So, and I did a lot of programming as well when I was younger, and really understanding how a drum beat is made up yeah. really helps fit in groove-wise, yes, I exactly. think, as a bass player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's really important. I mean, because a lot of bass players like me are frustrated drummers anyway. Hmm. I mean, I'd love, you know, if I had space yeah. and the time to have a drum kit at home and, and play it, I, I would, because <laughs> yeah. it's good fun. And it's like a natural <laughs> extension. But you know full well, it's like you, you've got, you know, I can see a, a Les Paul there is, you know, I'll play a bit of guitar as well because we're, we're the bridge between the rhythm and the melody. Yeah. That's why, that's the other thing that's important is to mm. have an understanding of rhythm, but also not, you've got to understand melody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And be able to figure out what's going on. With so that. I know, know your place in the music yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and how, and how you can shape yeah. and impact things positively and negatively. Exactly. Because it's, you know, the bass is quite a unique position to be in, in a band because of that, because you are that bridge between yeah. melody and rhythm. That's yeah. why it's a great instrument as well. You know? Yeah. Um, so obviously you've got a F bass in your hands yep. at the minute. Lucky. What's <laughs> What's been your journey to get to? Oh, probably a hundred basses. <laughs> I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty. I've got a bit of reputation for buying and selling gear. Really? Yeah. Apparently, but oh, well, you know, <laughs> I think one bass a month is not too extreme. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, over the years, um, I've had a lot of basses. Uh, I'm really pretty meat and potatoes with what I like. Um, it's always been Fender's Music Man, that kind of thing. I did have an endorsement with Warwick years ago and I actually like um, Streamer Stage 2. Okay. Primarily because it's, it's still got jazz bass pickups and it was, you know, it's a tone you was can it, work with. Was it a bit heavy? Yeah, it was quite heavy because they're, you know, they're, quite, they're always quite chunky. Yeah. But listen, the Warwick stuff's great. <coughs> they work. Yeah, they yeah. work. Yeah, it's one of the few other basses, you know, through the years that you mm. can say, well, it has its own distinctive tone yeah. and, and you know yeah an idea um behind the concept so mm -hmm. but no always really been into fenders i had a sting most of mother earth stuff apart from the first album let's just say it was done on a pv <laughs> some strange little pv uh, P, uh pj sort of setup which was it was a good base uh, rosewood neck but then i had, then once the band sort of established itself i thought okay i really would like to get a proper <laughs> proper base and i ended up buying a a red um it was a it was a, a 1986 stingray so it was a, an early ernie ball one mm -hmm. so i had the bird's eye maple ball okay. um translucent red with a clear pit guard oh. it's two band eq which i actually quite liked on there um and i used that on most of the mother yeah. I, had, I had a 1989 stingray did you 
a natural with a clear cool. pick guard on it. I, I, I changed, I've got a clear pick guard put on it. I've got a disco element. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good bass. Yeah. I used that on a lot of mother, well, most of the mother earth stuff. Later on, I used the jazz bass more on the later albums. Mm -hmm. But it, again, it, would be, it really depended on you know, what was in the studio at the time as well. Sometimes with the higher gear in, and uh, there'd be a fretless P bass, and I'll try that on the track. Yeah. So yeah, down the trip down the line, I've gone through lots of basses. Sadowski's I'm really into, um, but I actually ended up moving a lot of stuff. You know, in the last few months to buy this F bass and and the blue one that's over there, the VF five. Um, and these are these are really the two, the two only five strings I've ever stuck. I've tried five strings in the past, but never really got into it. But these two bases in particular, I don't know, they're just doing it for me. So yeah, yeah, they're just. So in the last nine months, I've I've really got into five strings, and I've always, thirty five years of playing, I've been mainly a four string player. Yeah, but these have that Fender DNA. It's in the tone. There's, you a, know, there's an organic yep. dynamic thing to them. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and they're responsive. Responsive. The way this is constructed with this this neck joint, the heel into the body. Just yeah. you feel it. You feel every note coming through the back of the yeah. body. Even the VF fight is super responsive, but never never sort of overly twangy or gnarly or aggressive. It's just really really usable warm yeah, classic in, tones and the preamps you know we're talking yeah. earlier on about how usable yeah. the preamp is and stuff as well super transparent Ergo um, ergonomic yeah everything's right it just feels so very comfortable great you know great to look at i mean to the workmanship and everything it's just the fret the other thing is i'm really fussy about frets because i like to play everywhere and i don't particularly like things to bottom out or buzz okay and through the years i've had a lot i've had a lot of vintage fenders which mm. sound good but once you get up here you're like oh, i can't use it yeah. And that used to annoy the hell out of me because, you know, you're paying good money for a vintage bass. You want it to be playable down yeah. here, but not, you yeah. can't play and it up I know you can get frets done, yeah. you know, dressed in, but you sometimes lose the mojo. You sometimes get it back and you go, it's a different bass. It just feels... Yeah. So to get, you know, to find an instrument that like this that I just go, wow, everything, you play everything you like. It's so mm. versatile, any time, any style of music. Yeah. You know, just uh, yeah, 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 just blow, F -face. F -face. yeah, blow away. <laughs> um, and then uh, rigs. Uh, rigs. I'm currently using an Agu Aguilar rig. I've got a uh, Tonehammer 500 with two DB112 caps. Okay, yeah. I like the vintage look of it. Yeah. Um, Are they green? No, they're just just black. the black and silver. Yeah, classic sort of. Um, oh yeah. But look, they they sound awesome. They're just they're they're quite heavy, but sometimes you have to. Something heavy around if it sounds good. Yeah, but, I mean the head's very light. So yeah, I mean, you know, over the years you must have. Uh, did you ever go with the Ampeg stack thing? No, never really got no. into Ampeg. I think it's a. I mean, it's it's great stuff, but it's a definite ethos. It's it's more rock, big. You know, yeah. I just never junky. Yeah, I mean, I had Warwick camps years ago because I had the endorsement. They, they were good. Um, yeah. Before that, in in the nineties with Mother Earth, I used Harky because there was nothing around like that that had that sort of punch. Right. And you can imagine a stingray with those aluminium cones was a little bit like ding. Yes. Um, but I used to just roll the tone off a Okay, bit that's nice of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't, yeah, wasn't going to cut, you, cut your ears off. So, um, and then later on, you know, to, to be honest, the, the, I would have to say, I got into Mark Bass pretty early. Mm. It arrived in the UK mm. years, uh, it's probably going back maybe 15 years ago. And someone at the, uh, the base shop in Camden at Gallery said to me, um, have you seen this stuff from Italy? It's super lightweight and loud. I went, no, I'm sick. I tried it, fell in love and that was it. So I, I used Mark Bass for okay. a long time. Mm. 
right up until the last probably the last year or so. But I've tried I've tried everything. I've tried Eden stuff. I like it. I mean, it isn't it, you can't. Most rigs are good. All the lightweight stuff is you know, all sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it's just personal preference and how, how heavy it is as it, well. Yeah, you know, it depends what, what what you're doing. Like, are you, yeah, yeah. you logging in and out every week? Are you playing yeah. jazz gigs? You playing weddings, clubs? Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. You just kind of kind of factor it. There's usually there's a kind of optimum weight to yeah. sound ratio yeah. that you can kind of deal with. Yeah, you know, I mean, ideally, I'd love to have like a you know DB. I got a DB seven fifty and a six by ten. You know, that would be exactly. Sound amazing. Sound amazing, but but you need three people to carry it around. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's the problem. I mean, listen, the Mother Earth where we had roaded, so I didn't have to. No, I didn't go. pay attention to it. Yeah. That used to just turn <laughs> up, and there it would be on the nice. base would be on the stage, ready to go. And nice. Well, okay. Yeah. That was that, you know. So, um, but no, I mean, like you go in the base center, you know, obviously they've got amazing stock yeah. of amps and everything, and yeah. you can play most most rigs sound amazing. But it just depends what you want, what you're looking for. Yeah. And if you see endorsees that you like, certain players that are using GK or using, you go, okay, I've got, I relate mm. to that. Mm. That's really what, you know, that's how we get into this, what we also relate to as yeah, well. Yeah, true. On the yeah. design and, you know, functional level, so. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything that you're uh, working on playing-wise these days? Well, I've, I mean, I've got it, my wife, uh, Zan, is a singer, and we, we had a, um, a sort of funk, a sort of quite 70s, late 60s early 70s retro funk band called Zan and the Good Things that we were we, we were sort of <coughs> running for a while and we played at Night Cat a lot in the last couple of years um, but we've decided to just move away f- just for the moment just move away from any live shows to work on some original stuff so at the moment it's a home base home studio okay home base project so yeah. you know what that's like um, yeah putting tracks together at home and it's a gradual process and it's slow and it's a lot of it is just you find you just refine stuff a lot as well yeah. for me personally. I mean do you do you because everybody's process is different do you kind of flick through sounds and loops for inspiration or do you come up with a chord sequence or a bass line and then try and fit it to that probably all, probably all of those all of those yeah I think yeah I think sometimes it's um, literally you know noodle around find a bass idea it could be a scale could be you know trying yep. some flashy super Locrian scale and think you know make a mistake think <laughs> well that's good yep. I'll use that or change the you know change the sequence of notes can be just it can be anything um, can be flicking through sample library drums and go okay that's a groove I want to do something with that yep. I can be I can be just playing the MIDI keyboard you know grand piano sound practicing a bit of piano because it's always good a bit of piano anyway um, for, for writing purposes um, I'll go okay that's, that's something I can you know run with acoustic guitar as well I find is really really good I don't know something about an acoustic guitar mm. I can just for sit there and yeah, stuff. yeah just yeah. just make up whatever <clears throat> just try some chord shapes strum and then all of a sudden you go okay this feels like a song and then off you go so latching on to that spark of an idea and then mm. developing it is you know and do you find that you're um Affected by what you're listening to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, listening to lots of stuff in the car, um, even subconsciously, you're absorbing the ideas um, and concepts. And, you know, it's not even taking a song and saying, okay, I want to do something like that. But you kind of just get a vibe and think, that's inspiring. I'd like to, yeah, you know, try an idea like that or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, sometimes you get too close to the idea and go, okay, well, it sounds too similar. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you just... You just wrap it up differently. You just wrap, yeah. Well, you just yeah. inject your own personality into it. Yeah. Because you can only do you. You know what I mean. You can't yeah. do everybody. You can't be everybody else. So, is there is there um is there anyone in the minute that you're kind of really? Uh, yeah, 
I've really been a Thundercat for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, like his stuff a lot. Um, I listen to, I absorb a lot of stuff. I mean, the bass player, Lindley Marth, I'm really, I've been checking, well, ever since he played with Zaun years ago, mm. I've been checking his stuff out. And I've tracked down albums where he's playing. And some of them are very uh, world music. Some of them are very, mm. you know, sort of out there. Some I love that, the Zaun Syndicate World Tour album. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's phenomenal. He and I actually went to see him at Ronnie Scott's a couple of years ago with a, uh, a Russian sax player, uh, Zenya Strigolev, and he was yeah mind blowing. Uh, one of your favourites, Lettuce. I'd still check out a lot. Mm. Uh, and my, actually, my brother introduced me to Lettuce years ago. Yeah. Uh, so we've been big fans of Lettuce, and again saw them recently. So that cool. was good. Um, I'm always looking for new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you on the Snarky bandwagon? Yes, I like. I, I was actually into Snarky about five years ago. Yeah, which is, yeah, I, I got their early albums. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah really. Lo- and I still like they're, they're totally great friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I saw I saw Snarky when they were here a couple of years ago. That was that was good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of else I'm listening to Kumasi Washington, the sex player. Okay, yeah. Thundercats. He's in sex. town a couple of weeks. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, and I still go back to classics. Yeah. I like a lot of, I still go back, I listen to Marvin Gaye and I just go, doesn't, and just, you know, shake my head and go, doesn't get any better than this, yeah. just certain, you know, yeah. certain albums. Yeah, I was, I was on the car and uh, there's an internet radio and an old Stanley Clark album came yeah, on. Yeah, And I haven't listened to Stanley in a long time, because sometimes you can overdose on like that. Yes. One yeah. kind of style, you know, yeah. or yeah. it reminds you too much of your youth when you were into all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But just this track came on, and I think it was from uh, Pebbles Rocks Stones album or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Simon Phillips and it was just ferocious like <laughs> the playing but but also his composition he, he yeah. had, as soon as a Stanley Clark song comes on you know it's him yeah he has a definite thumbprint on everything yeah but just, you know just the arranging and, and yeah. all the different ideas that yeah, were going yeah. on yeah, yeah it, was, it was very cool yeah so I still go back to a lot of stuff like that even like Tara Power George, you know, yeah. George Duke mm. so many inf- I've got so many inf- it's like I can't even think about there's, yeah. there's so many weather, you know, I still listen to Weather Report yeah. I really like the early 80s Weather Report stuff with, okay yeah, I'm Hakeem and Victor Bailey. Mm. Victor Bailey's a big influence on me as well. And again, saw Weather Report in the eight, you know, 1984. They blew me away. And all those things are just they're, they're in, you know, yeah, yeah, sort of embedded in my in, in my musical <coughs> sort of influences. It's just yeah, yeah. It's, and there, but there's always good new stuff out there as well. It's, you know, and obviously the in, the internet just. Yeah, I mean, awesome. sometimes the internet is like it's so inspiring. Other times, you just feel completely because paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, because there's so many amazing players yeah. out there, so yeah. many amazing musicians, and it, it, on every instrument. Yeah. But sometimes you go, oh, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it could go both ways. You know, I mean, sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give up. <laughs> yeah, but other times I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I'll pick this. You know, you, know, you, can, you can always have to tell yourself nobody sounds like you. No, exactly. You know? And that's some people will like that. Yeah, fact. So you just gotta play to that. Yeah, that's what. I'm, that's the yeah. thing. You gotta. That you've always got to remember that you have got your own voice. And, yeah, yeah. yeah we, 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 yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, cool. Awesome having you around. Right. Very interesting. Um, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out basslessonsmelbourne.com for more videos, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.